Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. Our sermon text this morning will be Hebrews 9, uh, verse 15 through 22. As we consider this Christmas season, think on this beautiful baby that was born and celebrate that. This morning we will be considering why did Jesus have to die? Reading from Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised internal inheritance since the death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established, for a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood, for when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood... There is no forgiveness of sins. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you today. As we come in the name of Jesus, we worship you. And Lord, as we do during these days, as believers celebrate the coming of our Lord, the incarnation of Jesus, God, fully God, becoming fully man. We want to thank you for this miracle. But Lord Jesus, as we've sung this morning, we're worshiping you, as we come to behold you, as we come this morning to adore you, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were born in the shadow of the cross. And this morning, Lord, even as we're reminded that Scripture tells us the word of the cross is folly to those, foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So we praise you today for the cross. And Lord, even as we do celebrate and even as we seek to make the most of this opportunity during these days, as people still in our country are still talking about Christmas, though perhaps less so in the past, we thank you that we still have opportunity to make the most of these days and point people to our Savior. So help us in doing so to understand in a new and a fresh way the gospel and what it means and why you came and and what it means that you came to die, Lord Jesus, and why it is essential and why the Word of God teaches that you had to die. So we thank you that you have died, that you were buried, that you rose again, that you have ascended to the right hand of the Father, and you are there now seated at the right hand of the Father, ever interceding 
on our behalf. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have accomplished your mission and that you are continuing to uh, intercede as our great high priest. Lord, help us to see in Hebrews of how infinitely greater you are, greater than all. And may we, Lord Jesus, continue in a spirit of worship. And we thank you for the word of God that is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And we pray that your sword this morning will pierce, Lord, to our hearts and, Lord, uh, through all that which uh, would, would hinder us uh, from understanding. We pray by the work of your Spirit that you'll give us understanding of the Word and receptivity to the Word, that it will not be dull of hearing, but that, Lord, we by faith will receive the Word and will allow you to conform us further to the image of Christ. And Lord, right now, we once again want to pray for the hearts of those in our midst who do not know Christ. We've been praying for them uh, by name, and we ask this morning for those who, whom we may not have named that you would awaken their heart to their need for Christ. Uh, Lord, I pray you will turn them, uh, Lord, from their direction that they might Repent, turn from sin to Christ and Christ alone to save them today. Lord, we anticipate and celebrate what you're going to do in the hearts and lives of people today. Captivate our thoughts today, Lord. Uh, protect us from this morning from a wandering mind and things that the enemy would put in our way with all the busyness of the season. May we focus on Christ this morning. We love you. We exalt you. We praise you. We pray it in Jesus' name, and all God's people agreed and said, amen, amen. Michael Ramsden uh, serves in the ministry of Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias. Um, he was invited by a, a Muslim, uh, by Muslim teachers to come to a closed country and uh, there to debate and dialogue with these mu Muslim teachers. Um, and uh, to, uh, to talk to them about Christianity and dialogue with them and debate with them. So the team prayed for them that they would have opportunity in this closed country and wisdom when the opportunity came to share the gospel. So after Ramston had given his lecture, a young Muslim teacher raised his hand and said, can you please explain to me why you Christians believe that Jesus Christ or Jesus had to die, that Jesus needed to die. Well, obviously in their heart, they knew God had answered their prayer. The door was open. And Ramson was about to answer uh, that question when his friend with him grabbed his arm and said to him, Michael, answer very carefully because he said, it's one thing to die for sharing the gospel, but it's one thing to die for sharing it poorly. He asked, why do you say that Jesus had to die? What would you answer if you were asked that question? Is it really necessary that Jesus had to die? Well, we know, I believe that uh, as believers, we would say, yes, Jesus had to die. Uh, but again, uh, we know that without Jesus' death, there would be no gospel. That's the central part of the gospel. We know that's essential. 
Uh, and yet, please understand that the, those who were receiving the letter to Hebrews, these former, uh, former uh, Jewish people who had now come to faith in Christ or acknowledged faith in Christ, as we've mentioned, struggling, being tempted with returning to Judaism, no doubt they had family members who, who were trying to convince them uh, of the foolishness of the cross, as we said from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, verses uh, 23 and 24, the Bible says, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I read just, I think, this past week from Acts 17, and if you're reading the two-year plan, you, you read that as well, and where, 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 again, Paul was preaching there, and in Acts chapter 17, the Bible says he, in, in verse 2 and 3, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. So the Jews, again, they had no concept of a crucified Messiah. They had no concept of a, of, a, of a Christ who would die. And we see even throughout, as we look through and preach through the book, a gospel of Luke, uh, the people several times, they wanted a Messiah. And uh, they were willing for Jesus to be the Messiah if he was willing to be a Messiah like they wanted. The Messiah who would overthrow the Roman government. So more than once they tried to make him king, make him the political Messiah. And so the concept when Jesus began to talk about his death and that he would die, they, they rejected that. And so ultimately uh, the reason for which he came uh, led, to the, the, led to his death and, and by the very hands of those who, who, uh, to whom he came first, the, to the Jew first. And so again, this was a stumbling block to them. And so the idea of, of, of Jesus having to die is still a stumbling block today. Jesus had to die. Jesus' death on the cross is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. You read the depiction fully given to us there in, in Psalm 22. And Isaiah, who prophesied his birth in Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 9, also prophesied his death as if though he was standing on the uh, hill beside the cross, depicting and writing down what was taking place there. A couple of verses from there, Isaiah 53, 5 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. So the writer is continuing to show the supremacy of Christ, how Jesus is infinitely greater, and specifically how Jesus' new covenant is superior to the old covenant. So consider with me from this passage today three reasons why Jesus had to die. First of all, notice Jesus had to die so that old covenant believers could be redeemed from their sins. We see that uh, in verse 15, but back in verses 11 to 14 in our last passage, we saw how Christ's offer of himself through his blood sacrifice made possible 
the purifying of our consciences from dead works to serve the, the living God. So again, he's shifting now from the reminding the readers that Christ, um, uh, back to the, the idea that Christ is the mediator of, a, of the new covenant. Uh, and remember the word mediator was used of an arbiter uh, or it was used of a peacemaker in a dispute. It was also used um, of a guarantor of an oath. All of these things are seen in Jesus' ministry as the mediator of the new covenant between God and his people. The Bible teaches us here that he, he brings us to God and he reconciles us. We were enemies, the Bible says, but he reconciles us to God through his own blood. And we'll talk about that more in a few moments. But notice what he, how he refers to the people here in, in verse 15. He, he refers to them. He says he's the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. The called. Both uh, the called here refer both to the old and new covenant believers. Uh, God's people are those who answer his call to salvation. Now again, everyone believes a everyone receives a general call to believe and to repent. But those who are saved uh, receive what some refer to as an effectual call, in which they responded in repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, in Scripture, believers are referred to as the called. So if you're a believer this morning, if you have repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ, you are called. Did you know that? You are the called. Back in uh, Hebrews chapter uh, 3, uh, he talks about that. He uses that terminology for them, uh, this heavenly calling. You who share in a heavenly calling. And so again, as a result of Christ's new covenant, both old and new covenant believers, we read here, are able to receive and eternal inheritance. You know, I remember growing up uh, as a child, uh, going to church faithfully, study, going to Sunday school. I have uh, quite a few teachers that uh, uh, were, have made a great impact on my life growing up. But uh, I remember in my mind, it's funny how you can remember some of these thoughts, but I remember thinking, well, you know, in the Old Testament, the people in the Old Testament were saved by, by obeying the law. You know, they obeyed the law and therefore they were saved. And then the New Testament believers were saved by believing in Jesus. Do you ever think thoughts like that? Well, guess what? They were wrong. There's not, there aren't two ways to be saved. There's not an Old Testament way to be saved and a New Testament way to be saved. There's only one way to be saved. And, and uh, Jesus is the only way. And uh, the, the Bible makes it clear here in this passage that Jesus' death redeems those who died under the first or the old covenant too. So Jesus is the way to salvation. He's always been the way to salvation from Adam and Eve on. And, uh, and the word here for, uh, the, you may, one, some translations instead of the word redeem, it uses the word ransom. It's the same word, uh, the, the same concept. And the, the word, uh, it's rare outside the Bible. Interesting that the Holy Spirit chose a word that is rare outside of Scripture. But he did so to really set the word apart so that people would understand. And so this word to redeem or to ransom, uh, it means, the, again, the price paid to free a slave or a prisoner, or listen to this, or a person under the sentence of death. 
Dear friend, that's all of us. And that was all the people from the moment. Remember what God said? The day you eat of this fruit, you'll surely what? Die. You'll die. And so again, they were under everyone under the sentence of death. And so Jesus' death, again, coming for us as our redeemer and, our, and the mediator of this new covenant, uh, again, came to ransom us and to redeem us because we were under the sentence of death. And the, the idea, the word also carries with it the concept of a full payment. Not a partial payment. Not Jesus' part plus your part. No, no, no. It's a full payment. Hallelujah. Jesus paid the price in full. And that's what he was saying when he said, it is finished from the cross. Paid in full. Again, the Jews under the uh, old covenant were looking for this day. Uh, Jesus uh, said in John 8, 56, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Abraham, by faith, looked ahead. And and every other person, Moses and David and all the Old Testament saints that we know about and those we don't know about, those who had, again, placed their faith in him. And, And Paul presents this truth in Romans 3, 24 and 25. He says that we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. He said this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. What he's saying here is again that God was satisfied when people from Adam forward repented of sin And put their faith in him alone. You see, they were looking ahead to Jesus. And again, the Bible, just what God said about Abraham. He believed God and what? It was counted to him as righteousness. So again, they were looking ahead as we look back uh, to the Lord Jesus' death, his resurrection, his life. And, uh, and so again, the, the, the Bible says here that, that this is one of the things that happened and this is one of the reasons Jesus had to die is so that those Old Testament, Old Covenant believers could be redeemed from their sins. And you know, at the time Jesus came, and, and I believe throughout history again, it had been some 400 years since Malachi's word in the, in the, in the Old Testament, but the Old te- the, those saints were looking ahead to the Lord. And not all of them, of course, as we've seen, the religious leaders, the, most of the Pharisees, most of the Sadducees, the religious people of that day, they just had a religious racket going on. And, uh, and it wasn't real in their heart, but there were true, genuine people looking for the coming of the Messiah. Uh, I believe there were a crowd of those who were waiting uh, there when Zacharias was praying his prayer and would come every week looking to see if he had a word from God. And, and, uh, and also in the time, you remember the story of the couple, of the, they weren't necessarily a couple together, they just happened to be there, there together, the elderly couple, people there, uh, Simeon and Anna, they were at the temple uh, looking for the coming of the Messiah. And uh, we read that in, in, in Luke chapter 2. Don't leave them out of the Christmas story, 25 to 38. It tells a story of how when, when Mary and uh, Joseph brought Jesus to the temple on the eighth day for circumcision and to, for the, to redeem him, as, as the Old Testament said they were to do, as he was the firstborn. They came in, and Simeon was there. And, uh, and, and the Bible tells us here that the Holy Spirit had told him 
God had told him, you won't die until you see the Messiah. So that day, I, I don't know exactly how he knew, but I just believe when Mary and Joseph walked in with Jesus, the Holy Spirit said, he's here. That's him. He's the one you've been looking for. And the Bible tells us there that, that he, he, he took him in his arms and he blessed God and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, just like you told me, Lord. And he said, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He's here. And then we read about that little woman named Anna, elderly widow, and she too was looking, she was anticipating the coming of the Messiah. I don't know if the Lord told her or if Simeon told her, but she found out. And she too began to rejoice. And the Bible says she gave thanks to God and to, she began to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She began to tell everybody, not just everybody, she began to tell those who were looking for the Messiah. I can just imagine her going up to folks she knew. He's here. I saw him. He's here. He's here. The one we've been looking for. The one we've been waiting for to redeem us. He has come. And they celebrated because, again, they knew that he would die, that Jesus had to die in order for them to be redeemed from their sins as well. The one we've been waiting for is here. Yes, Jesus had to die. But secondly, Jesus had to die in order to release all the benefits of redemption to his children. Verse 16 and 17, the word will here, uh, and if you have ESV, you have other translation, it, it's, translated, uh, it's translated testament in the New King James and the King James Version, but it, it's translated covenant in the New American Standard Bible. Well, these words all and the word covenant that we read in our text are all the same word. So why did they translate it? Why do different translators translate it differently? Because the translators are trying to help convey to us the meaning of this word. You know, we have words uh, that may have, a, it's a little different in the Greek. Oftentimes there's another word in Greek. There, that's why the Greek language is so full and wonderful. But this is a word that, like many of our words, that, uh, that mean one thing in one context and one in another. And so the reason they have done that and the reason why it's translated will here in, in uh, verses 16 and 17 is because that's the meaning of the word. One writer observed when it is used in a spiritual sense, it can be translated covenant, but when it's used in a legal sense, it can be translated will. So here it means will. We know about a will, don't we? I hope you know about a will. Um, one of the surprises I've had as pastor at times is to uh, be with family members who come to that uh, time when it's time to go home to be with the Lord and they discover they never got around to making a will. Uh, they just never got around to that. Well, let me encourage you. This is a, maybe a, a, a sort of a side note here, but if you don't have a will, you should, all right? And, uh, and like Karen and me, we probably need to update it. We still have my parents uh, uh, taking care of our children if anything happens to us, and they're all in their 30s. So uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, but you should have a will. Well, a will and testament, what is that? Well, a will is, to sum it up real simply, it's basically telling that when this person dies, who gets what, right? 
And so that's what a will is. Well, that's, he's using that as an illustration for us of what Jesus has done. And he's basically saying that the one who makes the will or who owns the estate has to die for the inheritance to be released. You know, it would be enough, wouldn't it be enough if, if Jesus just, if his death just meant that we would be redeemed of our sins, that we wouldn't, that we, we just knowing that we go to heaven instead of hell, that we know we, we have a relationship with him, that, that's enough. But you know, there's more to it. There's even more, there's even more good news because that means for us, because of Jesus' death and ultimately, of course, his, his burial, his resurrection, we know that means for us that he now has also, uh, we're in the will. And he has given to us, the Bible says, his spiritual riches. In fact, all of his spiritual riches. And so again, uh, his spiritual wealth is given to all the called under both Old and New Testament covenants. Some estimate that Old Testament saints again waited for some 4,000 years from the fall of man into sin when God first prophesied that the seed of the woman would crush the head of of the serpent and redeem them from sin. So they were waiting for the Messiah to come so that they could receive their in eternal inheritance. Paul described it this way in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by your poverty he might be, you might become rich, that by his poverty might become rich. Jesus, of course, left heaven. That's what the incarnation is all about. And in that sense of the word, yes, physically he became poor, but ultimately that was demonstrated most of all at the cross where he again uh, became sin for us on the cross, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, that we might receive all the spiritual blessings, all the spiritual riches that come through the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Galatians chapter 4, and that wonderful passage again about the incarnation. Paul wrote, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Remember, the, redeem, the redemption is, is that which is uh, that, that price that has been paid to set us free. The one who is under the sentence of death. So you see what we were, we're, we're under the sentence of death. And so were the Old Testament uh, saints. And, and, but God made it possible through the coming and sending of Jesus to die for us to redeem us, to set us free. And now the Bible says we're no longer slaves. We are, we are sons. We are adopted sons into his family. We're blood-bought sons. And the Bible says we are joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful benefit to the fact that Jesus had to die. The Greek word for adoption here means son-placing or or installation into the position of a fully adult son with privileges and resources that match this position. The word son means one with full adult standing. 
Why does God use the terminology of adoption, the language that Paul and the Roman world would have been so fully aware of? It lets the Christian know that that he has, that she has full privileges, full resources, and full responsibility from the moment we are saved. This inheritance begins now. We don't wait because Jesus has died. We've already received. We were in the will, and now we have received our inheritance. We're joint heirs with Jesus. Now we get more. We get, get in on it now. We fully experience it to the fullest extent for all eternity when we reach heaven and spend eternity with him. Let me ask you this morning. Have you claimed your inheritance, child of God? You are a full uh, son. You are immediately, your old debts are canceled, all that... The scripture teaches about what it means to be a child of God. All the benefits of the new covenant that we saw back in chapter 8, 10 to 12. Those benefits and more are ours because Jesus died. He was buried and he rose again. Claim your inheritance today. But thirdly and finally, Jesus had to die because forgiveness of sins comes only through his blood. The word blood is used six times in verses 18 through 22. He says in verse 18 that even the first or old covenant was inaugurated. That means it was initiated. It was begun with blood. In verses 19 to 21, he summarizes what happened in the establishment of the Mosaic covenant. We read about that back in Exodus chapter 24. I encourage you to do that. He mentions here the uh, elements of goats, water, scarlet wool, hyssop, sprinkling of the book. Uh, those aren't mentioned in the Exodus passage there, but again, they are a, were a part of the tradition. Josephus, the first century Jewish um, historian, mentions this tradition. Uh, so again, it's, it's completely consistent with the practice that took place. And so, um, so again, the point, though, that he's making is that the shedding of blood was absolutely essential. Under the old covenant, Luke 17, 11 said, for the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Verse 22, notice he says, the writer says almost everything is purified by blood. Now that may sound strange to say almost everything, but if you remember back in the Old Testament, uh, the, the, the Israelite, God, God in his mercy and grace, uh, in his love for everyone, he, he made an, uh, a, a, a special allowance, if you will, for those who could not uh, afford a lamb. And he made it possible for them by, to bring a pair of doves or pigeons. And even if uh, they were too poor to even afford two doves or two pigeons, they could, uh, they could bring a, a cereal offering uh, for a sin offering. But there were no substitutes, of course, on the Day of Atonement and on the, and then the Passover feast. Uh, and again, he says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, no forgiveness of sin. Blood had to be shed. Kent Hughes says that during the 1,000 years of the Old Covenant, there were more than a million animal sacrifices. So considering it says that each bull's sacrifice spilled a gallon or two of blood and each goat a quart, the old covenant truly rested on a sea of blood. During the Passover, a trough was constructed from the temple down to the Kidron Valley. 
uh, for the disposal of, of blood. It was, a, in essence, a sacrificial plumbing system. In fact, someone's pointed out that when Jesus crossed over from the garden, was arrested and crossed over from the garden of Gethsemane over into the city of Jerusalem, he walked, went over the Kidron Valley where, and, and had to cross over the flow of blood from the temple where sacrifices of those lambs were being, being offered up. You know, you might, you might say, well, was all that blood really necessary? Was it really necessary for all those innocent animals to die? And I know uh, we all love our animals and some love animals more than others. And I do remind you, they are animals. They are not people. But let me mention a couple of things that I would mention about why this was necessary. First of all, it was necessary for all these years and all that blood and all those animals to be sacrificed, first of all, to show the seriousness of sin. To show the seriousness of sin. You know, again, think about it. Even, even as what we describe here today, when Moses, again, establishing the, uh, the, the tabernacle and had to, uh, to anoint those things with blood and splatter blood on the people, and it was a bloody thing. They were constantly... Again, it, it, it demonstrates, and they pictured in their mind the seriousness of sin and again, as you think about that, then think greater to what it resulted in, in God being willing to send his own precious son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the God man to leave heaven, to become poor for our sakes and to go through what he went through in order to shed his precious, sinless, incorruptible blood, blood that truly was that of, of the Lord and God that alone could save us, that alone could forgive us because again of his sinless and pure, holy life and the fact that he was also fully God to show the seriousness of sin, sin brings death. Sin brings death. Sin brings death. <coughs> it results in eternal death, eternal separation, hell forever as a result of sin. Sin is serious. And that's what it results in, dear friend, to show the seriousness of sin. But secondly, to demonstrate the costliness of forgiveness to demonstrate the costliness of forgiveness. To demonstrate the costliness of forgiveness. What it cost the precious Son of God and what it, as, as, it, as it was pointing ahead. And by the way, it occurred to me as I was thinking about that, those animals didn't know what was going on. But I want to say, what they had to be without blemish and without spot. And just think about what a privilege it was for them to be chosen to be to point to the Lord Jesus Christ, that their blood being shed, and by the way, their sacrifice was not in vain. None of those animals who died, none of their sacrifice was in vain. Every one of them and all of that blood was pointing to the only blood that could cleanse. Because once again, we, we read here in this passage, Hebrews, next, next chapter, Hebrews 10, 4, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. They were pointing to the only one whose blood could cleanse us from sin, the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Say it with me, church. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus. 
It was all pointing to him. Jesus, when establishing the Lord's Supper with the anticipation of his death the next day, he would inaugurate the new covenant. He said in Matthew 26, 28, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So how did he complete this transaction for us? Peter answers in 1 Peter 3, 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So did Jesus have to die? Absolutely. Why did he have to die? Because, dear friend, there is no forgiveness apart from Jesus' blood being shed on our behalf. The angel appeared to Joseph when he was thinking about putting Mary away privately, thinking that she'd been unfaithful, but then the angel appeared to him and said, saying to him, of course, that the one who was in Mary's womb, this baby in her womb, had been conceived by the Holy Spirit so that now, of course, he was fully human but also fully God. He told him about this miracle. The angel said to him then in Matthew one twenty one, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name, say it with me, church, Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. His name means Jehovah is salvation. And the way he would save his people from their sins, the only way anyone can be saved from their sins, the precious blood of Jesus would have to be shed in order that our sin might be forgiven as our sinless substitute. And when John, that Hunter read about today from Zechariah, who's come to be his forerunner, when, he came, when Jesus began his ministry, John saw him, and he, I can imagine, shouting out, declared, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's no other way but the precious blood of Jesus. I listened to a podcast from a radio program this week where a conservative talk show host named Ben Shapiro, who also, if any of you are familiar with him, happens to be an Orthodox Jew, and he interviewed Pastor John MacArthur, and he asked him several questions about his ministry and about the Christian and politics and so forth. But, but he concluded this program by asking him the question, what is the major difference between Christianity and Judaism? And John MacArthur told him that, the, that, the old, uh, that, the, that Christianity is the fulfillment of Judaism, that the, that the New Testament is the fulfillment of the old and again, when you think about that, all those things in the Old Testament, uh, that means that all those things were not done in vain, but they were pointing to Jesus. He pointed out to him that, that not too many years after Jesus' death and uh, burial and resurrection, that the Old Testament sacrifices ended as the temple was destroyed. And he pointed him to Jesus, the one that as an Orthodox Jew, they're still looking for, but he has come. He has come. What a privilege we have of telling people the truth about why Jesus came. Don't stop short. Don't just tell them about a, a baby that was born. Point them to why he came. He came to die. But praise God, he was buried and he rose again. He's alive today. Dear friend, if you have not recognized that or if you have not come to the uh, place in your life that you've turned from sin and trusted in Christ, we pray that today will be that day. We pray and we plead with you to turn 
from sin and turn to Jesus who died, who buried, who rose again, who's alive. He's here. He's here. He's here. This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used his word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, his death for you on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.